0: Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope, a podcast about business, well-being and chocolate. Hello and welcome to Hope and Patience. It's me, Amelia Rope, the podcast creator and your host. If you're new to Hope and Patience, thank you for tuning in. Every episode, I'll be joined by inspirational souls who will share their stories and precious insights. You'll find the podcast is an exploration it's about discovery. It's about finding balance between running a business and remembering your well-being. So today I'm really excited to introduce my guest. She is super talented. She's the nut butter queen and she is Pip Murray, founder of Pip and Nut. Hello, thanks for having me. So, as a bit of a background, Pip has achieved massive things. She's, you're 30, aren't you? Or I'm still 31. under? thirty? Okay, yeah, 31. Start tipping. So, a spring chicken in my book. But the awards that Pip has scooped up along her way include the NatWest Great Britain Entrepreneur of the Year 2018. Pip and Nut was number four in the Startups 100 in 2018. And a massive accolade is that Pip was featured in Forbes 30 Under 30 Europe. So Pip and Up was launched in 2015. It's achieved massive things because you supply, as far as I'm aware, over 5,000 stores as well as selling online. So Pip, the listeners and I would love to hear, where did it all spring from?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've been going, as you said, for five years, but I actually came up with the idea for the brand about seven years ago now, which is mad, I can't believe how quickly that's gone and I think like a lot of people it hasn't been sort of one light bulb moment where I sprung up in bed and was like right I'm going to launch this company. Um, I think it stemmed from a number of kind of interests and kind of um, ideas that kind of bubbled up over time and I think those are rooted in the fact that I think from you know I come from a big family Um, from an early age I was cooking for my family and I was sort of part of that Jamie Oliver revolution when uh, you know, it's definitely a food hero of mine, but was a huge influence for me when I was starting to get it, like cook more for uh, my family and friends, um, and then and so I guess from an early age it's been an interest. And I think when I left university, not really knowing what to do, and started working in the creative industries, I was a theatre producer before Pippinut, Um It just I found it really unsatisfying as an industry, and I think I started looking around a bit, and I think food's been an exciting place to. Um, in in london living in london it's an exciting place to be i think in terms of you know the melting pot but also about sort of seven years ago it was like the real rise of kind of street food markets and many more kind of like restaurants coming into london and i think just seeing that kind of influence of sort of more exciting more innovative foods and in supermarkets seeing more independent natural brands kind of hit into store and i started to pay attention to it and then the reason why peanut butter, well, is that it's just so tasty. Like, it's incredibly addictive. And I just loved that part of it. And I, I'd i be that person, and still am, with a spoon in a jar, like, sort of scraping the jar dry. And, um, yeah, I kind of picked up a lot of the products in supermarkets about seven years ago. And the thing that I noticed was that nearly all of them, though, had palm oil in. Being aware of the impact of palm oil on sort of the food system and on your health, I, I just felt like it could be more, could be taken out. And I think also, you know, when I looked at the products available, I was like, God, these all look so Americanized, so processed. And when you look at other categories in supermarkets, you've seen how they've kind of become more evolved and more natural and, you know, have more vibrant brands in that space. And I kind of looked and I was like, you know what, there's definitely a gap here. There's there's room for an a small, you know, health conscious, independent brand to kind of come in here and bring a bit of excitement, new flavours things like almond butter hadn't hit mainstream supermarkets back then and I was like you know that's a great product that should be in in stores more available so I guess it was a number of those little things like threading together um, before starting on actually like buying a blender and uh, setting up in my kitchen and making the products or the recipes in that first stage
0: you're very lucky to have had, a, a, from my thing of where I entered it, into a saturated market with chocolate, uh, to me, it's so lucky to have a lovely open space for your product to come into. I want to have a look at the challenges that you faced in your business, because often you can hear people say that um, it's such a joyride, you know, having your own business. You're so lucky to have your own business. Wow, I'd love to have my own business. And as you and I know, it's actually really challenging. So. One of the things I was um, thinking about is that, uh, as far as I'm aware, you set up the business as a, a sole pilot like I did with mine. Did you find that challenging that you were on your own, you didn't set it up with a business partner? I think the thing that I often
1: find hard is that when you've got certain decisions that need to be made, I don't know, it could be about an employee or it could be about a new product that isn't going very well, you can't sort of pull someone aside that's a complete equal partner in it and just have a really frank like what should we do am i am i calling this right or am i completely off the mark or and those sorts of things where you're actually not really sure about you know your own sort of decision making and you can't really necessarily communicate that to the team because you, you, you need to make your mind up first so that you're clear and are kind of leading from the front. So the upside of it is is that, you know, when you are making decisions, you can just go for it. You don't have to kind of persuade your business partner that your decision is the way to go. Um, you can be quite single-minded in that sense. And actually, uh, sometimes I think it can slow you down if you get a partner that's not quite right in your business.
0: What's the most memorable challenge so far? that you're happy to share with the listeners?
1: Fundraising has always been the thing that I don't naturally love. When you start a business, it's not the first thing you think about When of all the things that you've got to tackle. I think it's just the level of stress that you experience over quite a long time that sort of slowly chips away at you. So we started the fund sort of pulling together our investment proposal in sort of November 2018, and we didn't close the round till the end of July. And that length of time doing something that I don't thrive in as much as, say, product development or branding like those are elements of business I love um, I found incredibly tiring and I think there's always that uncertainty of although you feel confident in yourself like what if I don't raise the money and that I found hard.
0: That is the the thing that is which I found when I was um, looking at fundraising is it really takes your foot off the gas Mm. with running the business and growing it. And, um, yeah, it's it's really tough. So, um, Pip, with challenges, how do you feel that you approach a challenge? What sort of mindset do you have?
1: Yeah, it's funny because I think I've got a really um, low risk threshold. Oh, no, no. The other way around, I've got a high risk threshold and since I don't react to risk very much, I'm pretty chilled out. I don't know why. I don't know if that's a a good or a bad thing. I think that's partly because I I think there's always an element of trying to make sure that you give yourself a reality check whenever you're doing anything. So even though you might be stressed out because the factory's let you down and you've got a promotion that's landing in a supermarket, those things are really stressful, but it's not earth-shattering and, you know there have been a few moments in the business where there have been like really big problems which have cost us lots of money and once you kind of ride a couple of those you start to realise that you know you're relatively resilient and and only if it's massive will you really get worried so how do I deal with the pressure I think it's just a little bit of experience to be honest, that starts to kind of allow you a bit more space to not react to the small things
0: And with your um, production side, because I come with my production head and my manufacturing head, which I found really challenging, um, especially when you outsource, because you have got risks of the manufacturing team adapting, Mm -hmm. in inverted commas, your recipe. um, And you've got quality control issues. And although you're outsourcing that and you think you just need to, you can just step back and not micromanage it, actually you do. How? What I would like to explore with you is how you know how you cope with outsourcing, and does it have for you upsides and downsides? So the the sort of challenges of that from when you were making it home with your blender.
1: Yeah, I mean outsourcing is just it's both great and awful at the same time. In the sense that it can be so frustrating because you can't go in there and just sort a problem out. You can't just tell them exactly what to do it's their company you're having to rely on them so you're like arm's length managing everything so um if you're not getting responses fast enough from your factory because um i don't know a piece of packaging has gone wrong and therefore you know the month's production is potentially going to be delayed which then means you might be out of stock on a number of lines and you want to get in there and just fix it and solve the problem but actually you need them to be proactively going and solving the problem and you're right, there is so much trust in it. So you have a product specification and on that product spec you tell you know, your recipe and all the parameters that you want to make sure you're controlling and you have to really trust that they're doing it. And I think the best thing that I can say is that firstly it's in that kind of when you're meeting at those factories, like really um, try and validate as much as possible and make sure they're really on board with the level of like quality that you're expecting and make sure they're buying into that. But just keep a really tight hold on those things and don't, and literally have a zero tolerance on if things slip and you know if you need reference samples sent to you every week and it slips and you chase them on it and you be absolute belligerent about it and only when you get to trust them a bit further like they when they're delivering on what you've asked them then you start to loosen the reins
0: a bit and as you scale up Pip as you are I mean you're selling shed loads as far as I can make out the sustainability side mm-hmm. is that going to become a challenge?
1: Yeah, so we certified as a B Corp in the summer last year. So well done. Just, thanks. And uh, you know what, in terms of proudest moments, so it, that definitely was up there as probably one of the number one. Loved it. Um and for those that don't know what B Corp is, a B Corp is a certification which essentially um, is all about business for good. So it's about balancing your purpose and your profit on equal footing. And that's meaning that you have to ensure that as a business you're doing right by sustainability, environmental goals, governance, people, workers um, and communities around you. Um, so sustainability is a big part of our business and will be over the next, well, for, for, for forever really. Um and the things that we're working on, for instance, because obviously we're aware, for our, you know, all our jars are packaged into plastic jars. Mm. Um, obviously, a huge uh, backlash against plastic, quite rightly so. Um, and we're working on, for instance, moving those over to glass. So we have we've got some big projects, um, and we're just about to do a big analysis of our full supply chain from a carbon footprint perspective to understand how do we get to carbon neutral by 2030. That's our goal as a company. So uh, really starting to, I think get the data because the only way you can start to make changes in your supply chain to be more sustainable is to understand really where you're having the biggest impacts and the only way to understand that is to do a carbon footprint analysis and then you start being like right we're going to target our peanut supplier because actually that's a big you know carbon output for us and and we'll start to work through some of that things but it feels big and as a small business it can actually feel a bit overwhelming Mm -hmm. Um, and knowing where to start is actually the hardest thing Um, so yeah we're working through it but yeah I think if you don't pay attention to it I think you're just being completely ignorant to the fact that you know we're in a complete crisis and that it's only going to continue to become more and more relevant and that there's a pull from not only supermarkets but consumers consumers want change they want brands to be doing more and I want to be a brand that does more so yeah it's a big big focus for me
0: so moving on um pip I want to i like getting under the bonnet of the mindsets of people running their own businesses or, or more sort of the sort of entrepreneur side because I think it's fascinating did you have a driver or do you have drivers as to why you're doing what you're doing
1: yeah I'm unbelievably um headstrong and determined I think it comes from so I'm dyslexic and I think it comes from that constant battle with myself that I was always trying to do better than I actually always did and so yeah I think that's been a a strength of mine so when someone says no I just I just never take it as no and if I can't work out how to do it I'll just keep going until I can figure it out and I'm an, an eternal optimist I think actually to my fault sometimes but I would always see the good in something so if something is going wrong I'll be like oh I'm sure it will source itself out or I'll often round up instead of round down I'm just that kind of person and I think If you are running a business, you kind of do need that. Otherwise, um, you'll just fall at the first hurdle because you think, you know, the world's going to end. But, um, yeah, optimism is a positive trait, I think, in an entrepreneur.
0: And how do you maintain your focus, your sort of clear thinking?
1: I think having a clear plan helps. I do well when I've either got a target or a deadline. I think if I don't, I will meander and be really unproductive. And I'm a bit of a, more of a firefighter than I am a kind of uh, you know strategic thinker. So I do like urgency. Um, so we do as a team spend quite a lot of time like planning for our next year, and that really helps. And we actually build a one page business plan every year. So our whole plan for the whole year, um, every year, will be will be able to fit on one page, and it clearly outlines exactly what the key things that as a business we're doing, what the key KPIs are, and what our, our ultimate like goal is for that year and what our purpose is as a business and that really helps me every time I start drifting off or start getting distracted by like some fun new thing that I want to do come back to that and say like right but are we delivering on these things and that really helps give me sort of focus
0: and with running your own gig you need to keep your motivation up yeah how do you sustain your motivation so the days when you just think oh gosh you know I quite happily curl up on my sofa how what what makes you just think you know what on we go
1: you know it's so funny because I I, I, it's a really weird feeling when you suddenly when sometimes you get a bit um the word lackluster is the wrong word but unmotivated I think it happens to everyone when you feel like you're constantly pushing in and it's just things aren't moving how you want them to and it feels really weird, especially when it's your own business. Cause like, I should be the most motivated person in this room and why am I feeling like this? I think if you are feeling like that, the, probably there's two things you can do. I think there's either one, just go on holiday and get some space from it and just, you know, after that fundraise like I spoke about earlier, I went on like a three-week walk around Cornwall and it was just the best thing. Oh, I came lovely. back and I was like totally refreshed, energised and just had the space again to come at it. Um, so I think that's uh, one way of doing it. Um, and then I think other ways of getting motivated is just, I don't know, it could be as simple as going and doing a sampling in store. But anything that's sort of customer-facing, brand-orientated, that will get me, like my, my um, passion's burning again. Because as soon as you can see, like, connection with the consumer and why people love it you know when people eat a product of yours and like go oh my god i love that that's so great and they pick up a jar and then they take it home And you think oh they're going to have that for breakfast tomorrow um that like gets me so excited so if i spend too long on excel I just lose the will to live and um, it doesn't really connect me
0: with why I'm doing it. It sort of puts fuel back in your fire, I think, doesn't it? When you see the customer's reaction, you think, that's why I'm doing it. It's appreciated and I'm making a difference to someone when they get their nut butter Yeah. So, Pip, I um, have a little inner critic in my mind who is uh, quite harsh. Do you have an inner critic and how do you manage to switch the inner critic off?
1: Yeah I absolutely do. Um, it's an annoying a little voice isn't it that, that creeps in every so often and the things that often will be the thing that it will critique me on is you know things like leadership. I get really kind of a bit antsy about that. If I'm having to do a big presentation to my team and I feel like I'm not landing or being inspirational enough those are the things when my voice will creep up. Um I think it helps getting external feedback. So um, if you are feeling like, oh, that presentation that I did was a bit sort of lackluster and not very ex- inspirational, then then ask feedback from people. Either maybe it's something you do genuinely need to, to work on and that's fine. Um, or actually it was totally fine. So if you've got an inner critic, you need to kind of prove it right or wrong. And I think you can only do that by getting some facts from people. Uh, so to silence it, really. Um, otherwise, you just drive yourself mental. Um, but I, I li- listened to a great um, podcast, actually, with um, Elizabeth Day, and she interviewed Mo Godat. And he, he... Really inspiring. I can't remember what the title of his book was, but he's almost said that your inner critic is like... Almost like it's external to you, and it's not a real thing. And that he actually named his inner critic—I think it was called Betty—and every time Betty started speaking, he'd almost talk back talk to back. Her. Yeah, and I quite liked that also. So I decided to call mine Lizzie, um, for because it's a name that I don't particularly like. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just uh, yeah, that's my kind of uh, way of tackling it as well, as to some extent.
0: And Pip with the decision making, how what sort of mindset do you find that you're in when you make effective decisions and then and what sort of mindset are you in when you make less effective ones? Is it because they've had to be quick, instant decisions where you've got little information to help you make the decision? Or how, 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 what sort of mindset do you have to be in for those decisions? That is decisions? such a good
1: question. Um, yeah, stress does not help if you're trying to make a good decision. Um, I think as soon as you are stressed, you'll, you'll be a bit too impulsive. Having said that, there have been some times, and I tend to find this comes with products a lot, when a trend size should be launch this product or that mm. product, and you have 500 different opinions around the table of reasons why you should and should not do that thing. And that also frustrates me, and I sometimes think that... Um, that's when you kind of have to listen to your gut and regardless of all the useful insights and data that everyone's throwing at you, you're, you as a brand owner should be incredibly close to your product and your brand and innately immersed in it and then sometimes making like an impulsive decision in that moment when you can feel it in your gut, I think is actually quite a powerful thing because you can argue yourself out of absolutely everything and I think particularly with new products, whether you should... Um, take the risk on doing something and spend money doing that. Um, it, it You just wouldn't do anything if, if you looked at the data. Nothing is a good idea if you looked at the data. So, so that's when I think sometimes gut is just the best thing.
0: And the joy is that even if you make what supposedly is the wrong decision, you learn from it yeah. and it takes you on a different path. Leading us into the best bit of the show well I love talking to my guests too but as most of you will have picked up by now I love chocolate and so I said to Pip which chocolate bar would she like me to get so she has nominated Tony's Chocoloni and the flavour was very specific and it reminds me actually because I shouldn't really talk about myself but anyway um, I did have a sea salt bar in my collection so we have got the milk chocolate caramel sea salt bar Mm. and if Pip would like to open that up so that we can tuck in. Sorry, yes. listeners, that you're not getting a taste. Oh, this is such a treat. So it's a little treat for me too. And um, a little bit have about... You eaten this before? I haven't tried it, but a little bit about Chocoloni is that it's it's really been created to help abolish child labour. And that has been a massive issue within the chocolate industry. Certainly when I was in it, I moved to a Colombian chocolate that actually um, I'm delighted to see Pippa Nut have got into their new nut butter um, chocolate cake. By uh, Luca, where I went out there and explored it, so that I could check that that wasn't taking place. But um, so it's a it's a really fantastic um, ethos, and they've got very big partnership from Calabar, a massive chocolate company, and a do- Dutch retailer. So it's, it's it's exciting. They have an open chain platform. So now it's time mm. for me to be quiet. I'm already tucked
1: in. Is that is that bad? Is yeah, that no, bad, that's
0: really it? rude. And the producer and the wonderful sound guy. Can only just see. They can't taste either. Too bad. Oh my God, it's so good. Gosh, it's huge chunks. <laughs> oh, thank you. it's very nice. so just oh, appeared right. for a chunk. Thank you. Yum. I love so the now, um yeah. they're like crunchy bits. Crunchy bits are really good. So we're And the salt. That, and the salt. It really is a very good bar. And we've got 180 grams to share amongst ourselves. <laughs> okay, so back back to it, Pip. You've had your chocolate break. Thank you. So a little bit about, sorry, I haven't finished my big chunk of chocolate, was too greedy. <laughs> a little bit about some words that um, seem to get spun around a lot, and it always intrigues me as to what people think they mean to them. So the first word is entrepreneur. What does that word mean to you? Who is an entrepreneur? Who isn't?
1: God, I hate that word. And um, I actually never, ever use it in association with myself because I think it's so tarnished with like um and this is not to say I don't think Richard Branson's a great entrepreneur but um like kind of like big bold kind of often male kind of leaders and uh, that have a very extrovert style and I find it's almost intimidating when people I think a lot of people say oh, I don't have an entrepreneurial style streak and actually I think so many people do have some level whether it's um, bigger or smaller in their personality and I think being an entrepreneur almost like almost stops people from doing or setting something up because they feel that they're not that like large than life character Um, and I think Whilst I think a lot of um, entrepreneurs are often quite charismatic, you can be that in multiple different ways. You can do that quite quietly or in subtler ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The whole entrepreneur thing. Um, I, I just there are so many sort of startup people who are now called entrepreneurs and and mm-hmm. or small business owners. And, and I just I'm just intrigued. So the other word um, that I would love to run past you is the word success. What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah I think success is often wrapped up in um, sort of money isn't it like if you hit x million sales a year you're you're a success or you win awards and you're a success but I think the things that kind of for me feel like success is like if I have a team that are happy that are like that aren't leaving and that, that have been in the business for like the whole journey or at least the majority of it and are excited and as passionate about as it as I am and they have an exciting career and they're enjoying that i I, that feels like like successful and uh, and a brand that also isn't the biggest but maybe the most loved for me that's a really important measure i think versus say revenue which doesn't necessarily reflect how much actually people are engaged with your brand how much they believe in the the reason why you're doing it um and um that is what if we can get to a point where our brand becomes so synonymous with like our continu- consumers and so connected with them in a way that you know other brands haven't been able to do i think that's that is Powerful.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of turnover vanity. That's what I mm. found. I say, What's your turnover? And I'd wince thinking it doesn't meet the value of the brand. Yeah. So, Malcolm Forbes, he um, says that, and I know Elizabeth Day, who's got a fantastic podcast, I love listening to hers as well, says that failure is success if we learn from it. How do you interpret the word failure?
1: I do think it's a bit of a gimmicky word at the moment, but I do acknowledge that. Um, failures are a leaping or a stepping stone to getting to where you want to go to and, and to that success that you're, you're after um, and are a necessary thing to, to go through fundamentally um, and certainly nothing to be ashamed of at all. Um, I think particularly in sort of our business, we do try and create as much as possible, like an open culture where people can speak about things that are going right as well as wrong. Um, And you really have to be like mindful of yourself when someone sort of admits, oh, you know, I dropped the ball on this particular thing and to not like jump down on their throats and say, like, well, why did you do that? And just say, acknowledge it and and hope that they won't do it again and put in some, uh, you know, processes to help them not do it again. But, yeah, it's an inevitability, isn't it, of running a company. Um, But funnily enough, sometimes when I look back and all get asked, what's my biggest failure? I I don't know if there's anything that particularly changed, even though there have been some monumental they, like issues that have cropped up, I, I really don't think I would want to, to switch any of them out because I think they've helped helped me learn.
0: Yeah, it's. F- I mean, I I the same with my business. I don't feel I like I was a failure with it. I think you anyone to get off the backside and se- to yeah. get get going and set up a business has has. Taken out the word failure because that exactly. takes huge guts. Yeah. So, we're now going to swing swiftly into the well being section, Pip. So, what I would love to know is with stress, how and where does it affect you? How, how does it manifest?
1: I think stress normally makes me pretty blunt and short with people it, you can always see the dark cloud before you even approach me and that's it's a, almost like an energy I think you can feel it from people when they are and you can certainly from me when I'm feeling stressed um and yeah and it will make me more negative as well and it also will have it'll play havoc with my sleep I um yeah, I will be waking up at two, three o'clock in the morning with those like bullet ideas that pop into your mind.
0: Do you then write it down? That's what I found helped was that I had a notebook because I'd wake up in a hot sweat thinking, yeah. "Oh no, I haven't done this or I have done that or whatever," and I would just write it down, and then I could get back to sleep. What do you get up? Do you how do you handle yeah, the sleep side? A, I think that's such a good idea. I don't do that, but I should.
1: I used to have my phone by my bed and now I've actually, my New resolution Yes, yeah, so I was going to gonna ask it. you,
0: Pip, is your phone in your bedroom or out of your bedroom when you sleep? And is it, on, if it's in the bedroom, is it on or off? So it's now out of my bedroom and it has been for the whole of January so far. And I well love done. it.
1: It is, I sleep so much better and actually it stops those 2am, oh, I'll just have a look. I'll just go on my phone and then I get onto Instagram, get onto our Slack or whatever. Because phones are the devil, aren't they?
0: They are the devil. Um, I'm lucky because, I, I mean, your generation, you grew up with phones. I didn't. So for me, I can be quite ruthless and I'll turn mine off at eight at night. But I do have a landline and I don't have dependence. Mm. But, it, but it's one of those things where you just think, you know what? No more messages. If you ring me, I'm, I'm out. Because yeah. when I was younger, we could scoot around. There weren't even answering machines. So liberating. A lot of freedom. Uh, so back on well-being, how important is well-being to you? And what won't you compromise on? To maintain your well-being,
1: I think there are two things that I won't compromise. I have to do exercise at least three times a week; otherwise, I get become um, edgy. Is the word I always use, and and it always is running. Like I will do other things, but running is my meditation in that sense. It you know, it doesn't even need to be a long run. It could be twenty minutes around the park, but it is getting out and getting some fresh air is really really important to me and then the second thing is I yeah I do love cooking and actually the moment I start I don't know putting ready meals on or like that kind of yeah just not 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 giving myself at least an hour to cook something it really it really bothers me and it doesn't have to be every night but um I love that I just love it and it makes me feel good and I know it's more nourishing and so those two elements I think for me, go
0: absolutely hand in hand. Do you have time for friends and relationships and family? Because that's something I pulled the plug on and and I really regressed it. Yeah,
1: Yeah, definitely in the first few years. um, Only really in the last, I think, two years has it been like a really much more of a focus to kind of rebuild that part of my life. But yeah, I do have my weekends and my evenings are most of the time free as well. So um, I have a little bit more balance in that sense. Um, But yeah, I think, you know relationships can really suffer um particularly you know boyfriends and stuff I actually broke up my boyfriend during the uh investment round that I was doing because I think things started to take
0: over too much so and then one needs to be really channeled and focused and, mm -hmm. and anyone on the periphery you sort of you can't attend to them yeah so um Pip If you're happy to share your favourite hideaway with our listeners, we would love to know where you go to, where that magical place is. Like I said, I went to Cornwall in the summer and just absolutely fell in love
1: with it. So if I could easily magic myself somewhere, it would probably be on the the Lizard, which is like a peninsula in Cornwall. And there's a... Wonderful. Yeah, it's so beautiful. There's a particular place called Kynance Cove, which is Oh, yes, I have that, yeah. And that would be where I'd go. I'd just hide there. Um, Ideally, like, on a sunny day. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I swim. did with the sun.
0: And have you got a book or a song that you'd share with our listeners that they could listen to or um, have a read of?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give two books: one business, one nicer, easier read. Little Life, uh, by I always forget the name of the author. But a uh, little life—it's one of the best books I've ever read. It's um, you need to
0: write that an down. An
1: incredible book about sort of male friendship, and the characters are so so beautifully written. Um, and my favourite business book that I regularly go back to is The Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Oh, I haven't read who, that. Um, he's What's it a, called, The Hard? The Hard Things About Hard Things. And I love it because it does delve into all the gritty things from how do you fire someone to what happens when everything's going wrong. Um, so, yeah, he built a massive tech company in the States. So even though it's tech, it's still relevant, I think, for any startup founder. So we need
0: to get reading that. And just very quickly, Pip, a song.
1: Probably my... I'm a bit melancholy when it comes to songs. So my favourite song, if I'm kind of doing work is, or album, is um, The National. And I'd probably listen to Quiet Life, uh, which is one of their sort of um, new songs on their current
0: album. Lovely. So winding up... Would you share with us um, something in your business life or personal life, whatever, where you've had to have a dollop load of hope and some time where you've had to have a massive amount of patience? Yeah, I mean, I think the start-up phase
1: is is always is about hope. So I spent two years setting up the business and, you know, I spent eight months trying to find a factory that would make the product. So this is when you've got absolutely nothing and you just sort of sit there calling up factories being like, I hope that someone can make it at some point. <laughs> So, yeah, that I remember constantly being like, well, I, just, I don't have a company until I know how I can make it. And the second one, oh, where I've had to have patience. I mean, to be honest, the Nut Butter Cups that we just launched have, was an incredibly we're gonna move on to painful I to product pass. to get to market um, again, it took loads and loads of uh, searches to find the right factory and then so many trials um, to get that product right. And again, it can get to the point where you start to like lose patience and think, oh, just get that in the market, it's fine. We actually delayed the launch um, a number of times by about uh, eight months, which was really frustrating. We could have launched, but we'd have had a substandard product and that's the sort of thing where you're like, no, you have You've to be patient, to have you have exactly. to sit with it.
0: And do you have a tip for the fuel tank of our listeners at all?
1: Well, what do I do to fill up my fuel tank? I'd go for lunch or coffee with a friend in the industry if I needed a bit of sort of, a little pick-me-up. So I guess it's not particularly practical. I'd just say, make sure that you're constantly building connections and Ha- having nice chats with people to kind of inspire you to keep keep you going. Sometimes a I think that coffee can get you. That's um, a very going. valuable
0: tip. so it. Now we lead on to anything new, <laughs> especially if my, it's anything new with chocolate.
1: Well, this is it. This is my my callous business plug, isn't it? Yeah, I mean we've just launched our nut butter cups, which is um essentially like a healthy Reese's, if you like. Um, so they are a range of all natural nut butter cups made with single origin Colombian chocolate from lovely Luca chocolate. And um, with our own nut butter in the centre and their sort of bite sized little morsels. Um, But yeah, super delicious. They've just gone into um, Boots and Whole Foods and Ocado. Great. So we can get
0: stocking up. You can. So I'd love to say thank you to Pip. You are a real star, Pip. You are so honest with the way that you share your insights. And I've really enjoyed interviewing you. It's been great and i feel very touched that you've come on my third episode of hope and patience so you can find pippa nut in boots sainsbury's tesco's i mean uh, online is that the best place to find the stockists yeah you can go onto our website Pippinut.com, if you want to see where we're stocked or you can buy through our website as well so i would scoot along if you don't know about pippa nut so thank you very much Pippa. Thank Thank you so much. I'd love to remind you all about the goodie bag section on the website where you'll find tips and recommendations for your well-being and also a good read. This week, instead of recommending a book, I want to recommend a website which has been set up by an inspirational guy called Oliver Chittenden and his team and it's called headtalks.com. It's a fantastic website where it's a resource for well-being and mental health. There are masterclasses, there's really interesting blog. So do just check it out. It's, it's my new find. In fact, it was recommended to me by my first guest, Rowan Blacker of Pookie Lighting. So thank you, Rowan, very much for that. The quote for this week is by an author who you might or might not have heard of, Ralph Wardo Emerson. And this is my quote, or rather Ralph's. Life is a series of surprises and would not be worth taking or keeping if it were not. And finally, before I go, I was having a little thought about the landscape in business and how much it's changed from when I set up my business, which was back in 2007. In 2007, there really weren't very many women in business at all, and we got quite a rough a rough ride you know I certainly when I was looking for investment was bullied Uh, I had someone who I think had an ulterior motive to get beyond what um, was on offer which was chocolate there just was no support I mean we were really on our own and and I remember you know if you use the hashtag women in business there was was almost nobody using it now on Instagram certainly when you put in female founders there are 433 thousand hashtags on that and women in is something like 9.1 million in Instagram. I think it's really refreshing. It needed to happen. It's exciting. But wh- what I'm thinking, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on, is that now I feel we've got that sort of equality. We've got a really good hotbed of men in business. In fact, if you look at hashtags, there are no hashtags for guys in biz. For um, men in biz, there are only 5,000 hashtags. For male founders, 500. So, I mean, that's a really interesting thing to, to think about. That. but I, I I sort of feel now that we've done that side and that there's more to it there's a more embracing there's a more inclusive thing rather than just taking it as a sort of sexual differentiation I still obviously promote women in business because we rock but I would love to hear your thoughts about it again just send me an email through the website which is hopeandpatients.co.uk and if we get some chat going maybe it's on social media Then then we can perhaps discuss it in a show bring a guest in and so thanks for joining us and for finding us i'll be back with another story soon so make sure you subscribe to get the latest episode and if you like what you hear feel free to give us a positive rating and spread the word i also would love to know what you'd like to hear more of less of and importantly to none of so just ping me an email via the website so until next time keep that sparkle bye Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope. Join the conversation at hopeandpatience.co.uk or find Amelia on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Hope and Pat.